0: Welcome to the One Church Home Podcast. This podcast is directly tied to our weekly teachings. If OCH isn't your home church, we encourage you to get plugged into your local body. We pray the sermon blesses you as we press into... Well, we have uh, been in a, a series, been in a, um, a buildup, really, uh, to, to launch out into the deep here in the next few weeks as we move into our new facility right up the road. Uh, Without question, it's it's always good to honor where we've come from, to look back and go, look what God has done, but to also look clearly forward and realize that there is a season before us of opportunity and growth that that we don't want to schluff off, that we don't want to ignore, that we want to embrace and say, God, whatever you want to do with our church, we want to be we want to be here to, to build the church. That's what this year has been all about. And we've said so many times, you're probably sick of me saying it, that doesn't just mean building a facility up the road because that's not theologically sound. The church is not a building. It's not a facility. It's not four walls. It's not five walls. You know, I don't know what that would look like, but it's you. It's me. We are the body of Christ, the If no buildings existed anymore, the church can still thrive because the body of Christ is the church. And so as we talk about building the church, it's an effort and a season to say, man, how do we do everything we can by whatever means we can to the best we can build up the body of Christ in preparation for what God is calling us to do. And so so we've worked tirelessly this year to, to, to prepare and get ready at every single level of our organization how to, how to take care of and steward that which God has entrusted to us. I am so excited to tell you officially yesterday the paperwork was submitted and we have officially redone, it's taken two years, our entire bylaw structure to better represent and, and fully protect our church into the future to sustain who we are and grow to where God has got us to go. So that's a huge accomplishment. That's one of those things that we're gonna post that. Those will be on the website. You'll be able to read those. You'll have access to that. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. And so, uh, and it was not fun to do. I'm just telling you, whew, Kelly was there. But we got through it. We've worked through it. And and our staff has worked so, so hard. Can we just give it up for the staff of One Church Home for a minute? So hard to prepare and get ready and clarify and, 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 and make structure and strategy and systems and protocols and things that, you know, words I don't use and They've done these things in an effort to make sure everyone knows clearly where they fit and how they can thrive to better be be, be grown up in in our faith because we exist as a church to empower people to live the abundant life. So so the staff's job is not to do church and you guys to watch it. That would be uh, not Christian (laughs) The, 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 the staff's job is, is not to, to perform and everybody kind of watch and go, yeah, I didn't like that so much, so do better. Like, that's not the job of the staff of the church, surprisingly enough. The staff's job is simply to facilitate and empower you to live the abundant life in Jesus Christ. That's the whole point. And so at every level, we wanna figure out how do we do that? How do we build an empowering church? How do we, how do we operate in a church that empowers people to live their abundant life? And today we've, we've started shifting and going, okay, so we've looked at the fact that that's our mission statement. That's what we operate. That's how we operate. We've worked hard to kind of build the church over the last uh, year and a half to kind of build up all these different pieces and all these things. We know clearly what we're targeting, what we're going after, the, the empowering church. We, we understand that, and we've got to define then How do we do that? What does it look like to be an empowered person? What does it look like for you to live the abundant life and for me? And we've said, listen, you can put a ton of, I mean, we could say all sorts of things. Man, you're living the abundant life when you have nothing to do except eat donuts. Like, that's the abundant life. But I think that'll get old. I think the world has told us that the abundant life is when you make enough money to finally retire and do nothing, then you're living the abundant life. The problem with that is like, you're gonna get bored fast because nobody was meant to just live until they had enough stuff so they could do nothing. We were designed to do something. We were built for more. And so we, we, we've said, hey, here at One Church Home, when we say living the abundant life, this is what we mean, that, that if any one of these kind of four buckets isn't full, then we're not hitting the abundant life. And the first one starts with having an encounter with God. That without question, it, it should be something that happens, of course, once in our life, but, but multiple times through our life. That, that we need to be facilitating and and creating spaces where people can have encounters with God, where kids can have encounters with God, where teenagers can have encounters with God, where adults can have encounters with God, where marriages can have encounters with God. That is the purpose of the church, but it doesn't just stop there. Then it it goes from an encounter with God into a season of growing deeper with God that we have to think differently about life right because i think sometimes we do pretty good at the encounter thing but but we stop short of helping people go grow deeper in their faith and and i don't care as much about the fruit as i do about the root like what's happening in your life is far more valuable to god than what's happening through your life I say that to young ministers all the time, but the truth is, it's true for everyone in this room. It doesn't matter how good everything looks on the outside if inside is dying. It doesn't matter how beautiful your home is or how nice your car is or how big your bank account is if your soul is dying. What matters in eternity is what's happening inside of you and what God's doing to transform you and make you into a better and more whole and more Christ-like person. And so all of a sudden we realize that there's a need, a necessity for the church to, to help drive people to grow deeper. And then from that, the next step is that we have to build community. We'll start talking about next, that next week. And then from that place of building a Christ-like community out of our depth of growth, We launch out to start being a world changer. That we're not meant to just sit idly by once we have our community. We don't build our Christian bunker and just hide out till the second coming trumpet blows. That we're meant to make an impact, to to make a change, to to do things in this world that, that leaves it different than when we got here. And so all of a sudden, it's when all these things happen that we see this really, it's not a linear thing. It's actually more of a cyclical thing because when we have that moment, when we start to make an impact, I'll share a little bit about my own story today. When we start to change the world, we have an encounter with God that drives us deeper into our faith, that builds a community around us that launches us out into being a world changer again. And when this starts to happen in the life of a believer, we would say, that's when you're tasting the abundant life. When you're experiencing all of those. And so this week, or last week, Pastor Steve showed us the power, the, the, the need, the, the beginning of, of growing deeper by, by tilling up that hallowed ground. It was a fantastic message. I want you to go back and listen. He talked about the different soils and the intentionality needed to become good soil. That we're not we're not stricken with one soil for the whole of our life. And and fortunately and unfortunately, right? Because it'd be great if, like, man, no, no, when I was seven, I was great soil. It's like, yeah, but you haven't been since, you know. But the reality is he he touched on something that I want to talk about today. That is it's just universally true. It's true in every situation. There's I can't think of any, I couldn't think of any this week, of any situation where this isn't true. That if you want to grow deeper, if you want to get better, so to speak, the truth is, is it's going to take effort, which is a scary word for Christians. Because immediately when we say it's going to take effort, we automatically ascribe that to, wait, you're saying I've got to have a workspace salvation. No, by grace you have been saved through faith. not of works, you you can't earn your salvation. This is not a salvation issue though. If you want to grow deeper in your faith, you're gonna have to do something differently. You can't just get saved and expect to haphazardly fall into betterness, growth. Nobody gets better accidentally. You guys are really quiet today. This this is good. (laughs) Tune in. But nobody haphazardly makes it to the NFL or the PGA. I wish that happened. You don't stumble into greatness. See, we can always link outcome to the intentionality of Preparation. In life, this seems to be a concrete reality. And the truth is, is it's a spiritual reality as well. Nobody grows in their faith. Nobody matures in their spirituality. Nobody grows up in their faith by accidentally just kind of not doing anything different and just, you know, seeing what comes. You know, I've I've heard so many, Instagram is starting to become a place I've got to like repent. Not because all the garbage, but all the Christian stuff I see on there that it's just like, what are we talking about? Like, like it's now a bad thing to want to do something to grow up in your faith because well, no, 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 no. Don't read your Bible. You don't have to pray. You don't have to go to church. I mean, I literally list what there's a guy, his blah, blah, blah name ministries and his whole message is you don't have to do anything at all ever like, cool, man. I, why, you, why are you here? You know, like his whole message is, you don't have to read your Bible anymore. Grace is sufficient. You don't have to do this anymore. You don't need to pray. You don't need to go to church. You don't need to do that. Don't be afraid of that. Don't. At some point, we've got to go, wait. Everything isn't about works-based salvation. Some things help us grow and mature our faith and become more like Jesus. But that doesn't happen accidentally. We don't fall, you know, you just don't trip around and go, oh my gosh, I just was conformed, right? Like, it takes some intent. If, if this is, it's like, how many, is there any artist in the room? Wow, we're an artistic bunch. I literally don't see any hands. <laughs> it's scary. Um, I don't have any other analogy, so we're rolling with it. If you were a painter, you know, I've seen some abstract stuff that I'm questionable about, but most of the time, if you're painting a beautiful picture, it takes effort. It it takes work. It takes trial and error. It takes doing something uh, differently. It takes refining habits. It takes different kinds of, of works. And so we're not, I'm not laying on you the fact that you've got to do more to get God to love you? Absolutely not. Get that out of your head. But if you want to grow up and mature in your faith, it's going to take an intentional effort to, to grow. It's gonna take pushing you outside of your comfort zones to do things you probably don't wanna do. The reason I'm bad at golf is because I don't practice. Does that make sense? Adam knows. Adam knows. He didn't either. No, I'm just kidding. But the truth is, is we, we, when we don't practice something, we can't complain that we're not good at something, right? So, so why is it different in your spiritual life? What are you doing to get better? What are you doing to grow deeper? What are you doing to, you know, the, what was so beautiful about last week's message is it's like, listen, wayside soil needs to be to, tilled up. That's a work. You've got to do something to till up that work. You're never going to just unharden the soil by doing nothing if you want to grow deep roots in your faith it's going to take some work and it's going to take doing something that challenges you that pushes you that that molds you this is what's where we run into this conflict in the modern church because we go hey there's needs and everybody's like yeah yeah yeah, but i'm trying to live comfortable I wasn't called to that. That's not my thing. That's not how I, how I work. That's not my best life. That's not my, my vision board. That's not my Etsy thing. You know, whatever it is. It's like, that doesn't fit what I want to do. And I've got boundaries. You should have boundaries. But the reality is at some point, you've got to do something different, hard challenging in order to grow. You're going to have to get out of your comfort zone. I cannot get this thing off. That's my son yelling at me. We don't fall into the abundant life. Call it human nature, the enemy of your soul, seeking to keep you as far away from it as he can. Whatever the case may be, if you're going to grow deeper, it's going to take effort. That's true. I want to talk today about two opportunities we have as we approach the next three weeks, as we launch out into the deep, uh, December 17th, as we prepare to go into a new season as the body of Christ at One Church Home. There are two places right now that I believe every single person in this room and hearing my voice needs to get involved and needs to participate in in order to, to grow their own personal life with Jesus. It's not going to be easy. It's not a light ask. It's not something I'm going, I want to try to make this as, as easy and palatable for you as possible. I just don't have that. It, this isn't that. This is not, we will not be the church that that, that that stands up and says, man, following Jesus is, it's not easy. I have more spiritual attack because I follow Jesus than I would if I didn't, right? That's just the reality. It's harder to live in this. Now, does that mean his ways are hard is, is what he's calling me to? Well, no but it does compel some spiritual conflict that I wasn't involved in prior to this. I was of no need. The devil didn't need to beat me up. I just did that on my own. And so now all of a sudden you start to follow Jesus and life is hard. And, and I'm not kidding. Growing in Christ is not gonna be easy, but it'll be worth it. Growing in Christ is not gonna be simple, simple, but it will be valuable. It will it will take you from where you are to where you want to be, and it will conform you into the image of Christ Himself. And, and, And without doing that, we're just playing church. If we're not willing to do that, then it's like I don't care how big the crowd is, if the crowd's not willing to conform into his image and participate in his holy call, then forget it. Let's just go to lunch right? We're just playing. But we have an opportunity here to to be different, to set a new standard. Y'all, we could share all the statistics today and I'm I'm not going to be coy with you. The two opportunities are, are serving and giving that every single believer should be participating in. Every single one of us should be walking this out because listen, The statistics are clear. 20% of every church carries 100% of every bit of the weight. That's just nationally known. Some places it's 10, some places really show out and they get to like 24. You know, the year after we launched this church, 87% of the church was tithing. 87%, we were beating the national average like five times over. We haven't done the Math Vision Sunday's coming. You'll hear where we are now, but the truth is I don't want to fall into national statistics. I don't want to see 20% of this room carrying the weight for everybody else. If that's the case, then like this section over here, they do all the work and nobody else does anything. That's crazy. Why? Because doing something is the participation in this holy opportunity, the thing that God has entrusted us and the things God has called us to, that participating isn't just paying the bills. It's being shaped and molded through an encounter with God that drives us deeper into our faith, that builds a community around us that launches us out to change the world. And so that participation is the thing that every one of us needs, and I would even say this, longs for. The problem is it's not easy. How many people in this room showed up at 6 a.m. this morning? Hold them up. Randy, did you? Well, hold your hand up. Look around. People got here at 6 a.m. this morning. You know what I was doing at 6 a.m.? Total transparency. Sleeping. Sleeping. 6 a.m., people were here to start building an environment for you to come and have an encounter with God. That's not easy. Does anybody in this room want to take their day off and wake up at 6 a.m.? Oh, you know, probably 5.30. No, that's hard. But it's shaping and changing and molding people into the image of Jesus. So what what is difficult is often the thing that is also beautiful. The things that are hard for us are also the things that are necessities and requirements for us to become that which we long to become. So the first thing we have an opportunity to do is serve. We call it hosting here because you don't have people come over for dinner and volunteer them. We host people at One Church Home. Galatians 6.10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are in the household of faith. John 15.13, Greater love has no one than this than those that lay down one's life for his friends or brothers, other translations say. There is an undoubted, call and expectation in the body of Christ and in the scriptures. We could go on and on, Ephesians 4, 12, for the equipping of the saints and the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. There is this consistent and constant call to serve one another. We are meant to serve. We are built to serve. We need to serve. There's zero questions about it. If you wanna grow deeper in Christ, serve somebody. Somebody. There's no doubt in my mind after doing this for going on 16 years that serving is the fast pass to spiritual growth. Something supernatural happens when you take what God has entrusted to you and you begin to impart it to others. It's the the call, it's discipleship. it's, It's handing what has been entrusted to you to somebody else. And when you give it away, something in you, it solidifies it. It concretes, it galvanizes it inside of you. My own experience as a, as a believer, I, I got saved and I wanted to go into business. I had huge vision for it. I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to build businesses. I wanted to do this. I, I thought it would be so awesome and cool and, you know, it would provide well. And so, and I actually think I would have been good at it. I think I would have been a fine business guy. But I started serving. Some of you are like, wait a second, I don't want to go that path." I started serving a group of eighth grade guys. I heard about a need in the church, and they said nobody wanted to do it, but you could tell them about Jesus. And I went, I'm in. I'll do it. I was so excited to say yes to Jesus and to see my opportunity to to share. I had no calling to middle school. If you had to ask me, I was like, no, no, no. I'm called to like, I'm called to the rich and famous. Like, but I'm called to do something. I'm a businessman. That's what my family does. All my family heritage is business. I'm a businessman. And they're like, great. Eighth grade boys. And I'm like, well, it's a need. I'm going to meet it because I'm not better than that. I'm not bigger than that. So what? I'll get to my business someday, but I'm going to start serving. I walked in and I, you know, you think that like angels from heaven are just going to open up and it's going to like serenade you into the room. It didn't happen. They were farting. (laughs) Smelled terrible. We were in a cramped little room and the chairs were tiny and I'm a big guy. I remember sitting on this little chair and it was so humiliating. And, and then you think, no, God has anointed me for such a time as this. When I open my mouth, he's gonna fill it. That's the word. And I opened up my mouth and they laughed at me. They wouldn't shut up. They wouldn't be quiet. They wouldn't listen. It was Horrible. It was just this whole thing, and I'm just going, This is why nobody will stay with you guys because you're awful. <laughs> this is mortifying. I, I gave up a Wednesday for this. I was fired up. So I'm, I'm all on edge. I'm, I'm tuned up. I'm angry. And I, you know, you think something's going to happen. Okay, at the end of this, I'm just gonna wave my hand and they're all gonna get saved. Something's gotta happen tonight. Nothing happened. Amen. You guys are awful. I might come back. See you next week. They leave. But I showed up next week. And it was still awful. (laughs) You think this is gonna get better? It just was hard. It was difficult. They didn't listen. Some of them wouldn't show up. Some of them wouldn't come back. Finally, I'd make headway with one and his mom wouldn't let him come back because he was doing his, you know, he had soccer. So I really loved soccer on Wednesdays. That was awesome. But finally, we were working with guys. We're working with guys. We're working with guys. And then all of a sudden, the year ends and God's calling me to go back to Bible college because I just married my brand new wife who's hiding over in the corner. And we're called to Birmingham. So I tell them, guys, you're going in ninth grade now, high school, so I'm passing you off anyways. You're kind of terrible. I do love you. I'm moving to Birmingham. I moved to Birmingham. We end up going to Bible college down there for a year. And I say goodbye. And all of a sudden, a year, another year goes by. And we end up coming back, and I start serving again back in the eighth grade ministry. And I'll never forget my first night back, because I'm walking through. I walk through the two doors. We're going out. There used to be just this big grass pad outside of the the middle school room, and I'm standing out there talking to somebody. It's my first night back. It's been a year, and I just hear a herd of buffalos trumpeting through the church halls. <laughs> I'm like, what is that noise? And then I just get tackled. And I go to the ground and I start fighting for my life. <laughs> oh, it, I start realizing they're going, Ian's back. He's here. He's back. He's, I can't believe you came back. I can't believe it. I, uh, you did. You, you said you were going to come back and you're back. You came back. And I start looking around, I see these faces, and I realize this is my eighth grade small group that's now in high school, that left the high school classroom to run down here and welcome me home and tell me how their massive exploits of freshman year have conformed them into the image of Jesus. (laughs) It wasn't that pretty, but... But I'm telling you right now, it was in that moment I knew I was called into full-time ministry. Without question, the rest of my life would not be spent pursuing business. It would be spent pursuing people having an encounter with God and building a community of faith that would transform their life and cast them out into a world change. And can I tell you, there's certain guys, some of those guys are members of One Church Home today and they're out there being great husbands and fathers and leaders and businessmen and church leaders. like they're they're doing it. And so all of a sudden I got to experience that my yes and my willingness to endure and my willingness to suffer through their life changed my life. I don't know that it had a massive impact on them. Like, If I didn't show up, someone else would. That's how faithful the sovereignty of God is. If your no is a no, he'll use someone else's yes in your stead. He's too big. He's too great. We don't, we don't live in fear. God's got it. But the truth is, is that your yes could provide you an opportunity to be transformed into his image and change the trajectory of your life without question. It is the the experience of laying your life down, of serving, and I would even say suffering with people that will empower God to give an encounter to you. And through building a community, we could talk all about that and then changing the world. But serving the body of Christ is essential. 1 Corinthians 12, 20 and 26, it says, but now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And I can't say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which think to be less honorable, on those we bestow the greater honor and our our unpresentable parts, that's eighth grade boys, have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body. Hear what he's saying, y'all. Listen to this. See it in your mind's eye. Having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, and, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. What is he saying? We are the body of Christ at one church home. All of us, everybody here second service, we are the body of Christ at one church home. Therefore, these are three truths we can bring right out of the scripture that we are incomplete without your participation in the body. That if you choose to to only come and attend and observe and participate from a distance and watch what's happening without getting involved, then we are an incomplete body because we lack you. It's like all of a sudden the pinky finger just doesn't want to show up. Problem is, is that's going to get hard over time and then all of a sudden the, the big toe doesn't show up and we're tripping all over the place and the elbow doesn't show up so this whole wing can't be used. Like, like we've gotta be one body all participating in our unique function and call. And when that happens, we taste and see the abundant life here on the earth. We see the church flourish because it's necessary. The second place today, so if, if serving is the first, the second place is simple, it's giving. Acts two forty-two and 47, this is the early church. This is the first picture of the church. And it says that they continued steadfastly, small groups, big church, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. It is undoubtable that ridiculous generosity has always defined the church. Perhaps because when you... You're living the abundant life. You realize that it's not something money can buy, so you're not tight with it. So you're free to meet others' needs. And the reality is that like serving, you realize that once you've done it, that giving is a tangible way to practice growing deeper in your faith. And when we meet needs, when we participate in tithes and offerings and sacrificial offerings, we experience something supernatural. Supernatural. And we change. So, there's a need that only the body of Christ here at One Church Home can meet. As we prepare to launch into the deep and grow deeper, as we finish the vessel that God has entrusted to us, here are two needs. You know, we don't want to be the church that goes, you know, this is all happening over here, but we got to hide it from you. We want to be transparent, honest, and open and say, this is exactly what the need is now we as the body of Christ can meet it together. So from elders to pastors to leaders to staff to hosts to to all of this church, there are two great needs standing between us and living this abundant life out of doing what God has called us to do here. And it's something that we have every expectation that God's people can step up for and meet. The first one is this, that we're opening up a fund called the House to Home Set the Table Fund. I want to ask this question. Has anybody ever built a house? Yeah? yeah. <laughs> Did anybody go under budget? The reality is, is it's very common to have a 10 to 20% overage when you build, right? If commercials, no different. Uh, in, in the last 18 to 24 months, the construction costs have increased. Some say up to 41%. Inflation has been... 7 8%, somewhere in there. You know, we projected like two or three when we started. That was wishful thinking. But the reality is, is we have finally come to the completion of this building project. And we came within 6.9% of being in budget. That's pretty good. And what we were able to do with that 6.9%, we kind of, we went through, we lined by lined it. I mean, and listen, on a $10 million project, there's a lot of lines. But, but the reality is, is we can boil this thing down to really three pieces. One is just inflation is inflation. You know, who's to blame for that? I think we know. Uh, <laughs> focus. is it can be boiled down to three things. First, we realized we needed a bigger sanctuary because the original design wouldn't even have held all of you. And we have two services. So we added a 25 foot extension that seats 396 people in the back of the room. That's an expense. The other thing that happened is TDOT, I don't know why, they're just not super sweet when it comes to like doing it my way. They kind of do it their way and that's the only way. And so TDOT got a hold of it and they said, actually, we want you to do this, this, and this. And that increased a little bit from where we had projected. And then finally, because we had secured our, 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 our material expenses two years ago, we're not paying that 41% increase. We, we did the due diligence there, but we can't control labor costs. So labor costs crept up and it's, it's just a reality of the inflationary cost and the environment that we're in. So because of the extension in the building and the the more seats that we've added, because of the the turn lane things that had to be done, and because of the the labor cost and inflation, we have seen about a 7% overage in our deal. The reason I'm coming to you today is not because, oh my God, they're not gonna let us move in. They're gonna let us move in. The bank's ready there. The bank is really willing to give us more money. It's crazy. At 8% interest, we'll give you all you want. But the truth is, is we want to be good stewards of what God's called us to to do. And this is no longer borrowing on a 3% mortgage. This is now borrowing 8%. And so for us, again, not the businessman, but it just seems right to try to knock down as much of that 7% as we can before we move into the building so we don't inquire more interest payment and just give the bank God's money. Is anybody on board with that? Come on. So what's the need? The need is $700,000. I'll mind you this. We saw God do that in a day twice. So this is not the same as that. We're not asking today, will you make your offering right now? But I am saying, as we open up this fund between now and the end of January, will you prayerfully consider participating in this set the table offering fund, whatever we're gonna call it, so we can push that down as much as we can, so we can acquire as least amount of interest as possible, so we can continue to give God's money exactly where it needs to go and put it into the kingdom any way, shape, and form. Will you participate in that this year? As we look at the next few months, this doesn't mean, great, I'm gonna go in there and change my tithe to this because we're still needing that to do everything else. The truth is is will I will I do something above and beyond will I go the extra mile will I help set the table so that others that I might not know can experience God's best and walk into God's house and know that this church is a church that takes seriously the stewardship of God's money that we're not playing around we're not going to babysit it i expect us to pay this debt off in the next 10 years no questions asked we're going to get this done. But the truth is we got to start with this one and then we'll take the big one down really, really fast. Amen, somebody? So that's the first one. Come on, give it. Let's. There's like three of you clapping. It's funny when you ask for money. <clears throat> the first one is give. The second one is serve. This is probably a more important need. It's a a very spiritual need. It's very real. But in order for us to fully staff the church, in order for us to fully staff and and do what God's called us to do with the host teams and build out everything so everybody can operate optimally, we need 300 more people to start volunteering in the next three weeks. That's another big like gulp (laughs) Are you sure you said 300? But then again, I look at it, look around a room this size and I say, 300 is all we need. Y'all, I've never met a children's ministry that's been fully staffed with hosts and we can do it here. We need 88 children's leaders in order to fully staff our children's ministry in the new facility. We need 58 youth ministry leaders, 59 people in the parking and facilities team, 45 people in the ushers, greeters, and hospitality area. That's the donuts. 58 people in tech and comms and 15 people in the creative space. And if we were to see all of those people step up and join, or maybe more, we would see for the first time in my 16-year career ever that all-host teams are fully staffed that would be mind-blowing not because we'd be able to like i don't think any magazines would cover that but because the people of god that were showing up or the people that wanted to come and have an encounter with god could have an encounter with god that would transform i mean think about the alternative if we don't do this what happens when people start to show up to church for the very first time and you know, they didn't have to sit in the hard chairs but they, they finally showed up and, and they have their kids and it's a single mom and she's trying to barely show up for the first time and she walks up to our kids' ministry and we go, sorry, we didn't have enough volunteers so today. We're having to close the doors. So good luck. And then they're back, she's back in the back of the room being loud and somebody goes, hey, can you not be loud? Can you get your, and she just goes, forget it. I'm out. Why would I come? Well, this, you talk about God, but I can't even get into the house. I mean, imagine though what the difference is if that woman walks into church and they go, Let me help you get your kids checked in. Let me take them to their their room that's been beautifully made for them and it's been created. And there's people in there that want to serve them and love them and teach them about this love of God that is ferocious and awesome and beautiful and wonderful. And then you come with me because I want to get you a cup of coffee and a donut and I want to walk you into a seat that's been saved for you so you can have an encounter with the king. What would that do? And so we've got to be a people that step up and it's not their job. Look to your person on the right and left and say, it's not your job. Right now. It's my job. It's your job. You guys are looking at me like, why are you yelling? We can do this. And The truth is, is that children's ministry is the often the most neglected? That's our staff leaving. They're going to uh, communion. They're not. That's not a big walkout. <laughs> it's like mass accidents. <laughs> hey, what did I say? Oh, but. The truth is, is like, we've got to have kids' ministry people. If I was to rank priority, I would unashamedly say that kids' ministry needs your attention. Men in the room, let me just say this. Statistically speaking, we don't show up for this, and in this house, I want us to. I showed up for eighth grade. You can show up for fifth grade, third grade, fourth. It's like, why? Because where kids' ministry thrives, the body of Christ thrives. Where kids' ministry gets attention, Why is that? Because if a man will show up in the life of a a young child and show them, what happens? What if there's no men around in that child's life and you're the only male influence in a Christian way they have? You could change the world through that child. And so what if we did it differently? What if we showed up and said, I don't care how important your job is, but I'm gonna love on third graders this week because the body of Christ needs a next generation that changes the world. And so all of a sudden we start getting involved and doing it differently. Stop worrying about your perception and this and that. Start doing something that costs you dearly, that's more difficult than you ever imagined and is worth every second. Brian Kirkpatrick has given his life along by, I mean, we did it for 12 years together, showing up for stinky kids. And you know who's the most changed? Us. Changed me. It made me who I am. And I'm beseeching you, church, don't miss this moment. Grow deeper by engaging differently, by giving generously, and watch and see how God uses this house to change the world. So I'm asking you to take a picture of this, get your phone out today, take that picture. It's going to take you to a forum, ask you two questions. That's it. Somebody's going to come in contact with you in the next 48 hours. They're going to go, how do we get you plugged in? Where are we getting you plugged in? What can we do? How do we do this? And I'm I'm begging you to get your phone out and do this right now because the church doesn't need, the world, the world doesn't need another body of Christ that just wants to sit back and watch. We need to get involved and do something differently and watch and see how God blesses and touches and uses this moment to change everything. So as you do that, you can go out in the lobby, the inquiry forums here, You can grab you one of those little, I got one right here. An order for your tree that says you're a world changer because you're an OCH host because you're committed to see God move through you even though it's going to be hard, even though it's going to be challenging, even though it's going to push you and shape you. Grab one of these, grab you one of those. You know, we're kind of spoofing off the I voted thing. I signed up thing. So grab you a sticker out in the lobby. And let's be world changers together. Amen, somebody? Father, we love you. We bless you. We honor you this morning with everything we have. And we say, God, this house is your house. What is $700,000 to the king of kings? What is 300 more volunteers to the one who spoke and breathed out the sun? We know you can do it, God, so we trust you with it and we say, here's our effort. Here's our whatever we have. Here's whatever we have to give, God. Here's our our time, our effort, and our resources, God. Use us how you will and we receive your transformative power in our life. We bless you, God, and we honor you for this church and this opportunity to do what you've called us to do and be the people you've called us to be. Help us build your church in the power of Christ alone. We bless you and honor you in his name and for his glory, amen and amen. God bless you guys.